0: Now here's a highlight from Coast to Coast AM on iHeartRadio.
1: And welcome back to Coast to Coast. George Norrie with you. Seth Shostak back with us. For those of you who don't know Seth, let me tell you a little bit about him. He's a senior astronomer and institute fellow at the SETI Institute, Search for Extraterrestrial Intelligence in Mountain View, California. He was an undergraduate degree in physics from Princeton University, a doctorate in astronomy from the California Institute of Technology, and for much of his career, Seth conducted radio astronomy research on galaxies, and for a decade, He chaired the International Academy of Astronomics, SETI's permanent committee, and each week he still hosts the SETI Institute's hour-long science radio show, Big Picture Science. Seth, welcome back, my friend. How are you?
0: Uh, Just fine, George. It's good to speak with you again.
1: You too. When you went and got your Ph.D. in astronomy, what was it? What was your catalyst for getting that done?
0: (laughs) Well, to tell you the truth, I I got into grad school in the physics department, so my plan was to study physics, which I had done as an undergraduate, but, uh, you know, I think more or less the first or second week there, I was walking through the halls of the astronomy department, and there were all these wonderful drawings of the construction of the Mount Palomar 200-inch telescope, and I think more than anything else, it was sort of the romance of that massive instrument that convinced me to switch departments, that's it.
1: And once you did, once you got your do- doctorate in astronomy, how did you move into the SETI Institute? How did that evolve?
0: Well, I think I was always a little bit interested in the idea of SETI. I mean, who isn't interested in aliens, after all? But, uh, you know, I I uh, was studying galaxies, that was my line of work, and I uh, took some postdoc positions, and I also uh, took eventually a position in Europe at a, a university there. And uh, one of the things we did there was to actually do a SETI experiment, the first time it had ever been done in the Netherlands, which is where I was. So uh, I got interested then, and then I moved back to California for completely different reasons. And I was here for, a, I don't know, about a six months or a year. Somebody at the SETI Institute found out that I was in the Bay Area. They called me up, and they said, do you want a job?
1: Oh, that's fantastic, and, and you've done a great job ever since, my friend. You really shed an interesting light and perspective on what you do.
0: Well, that's kind of you to say, George. I, you know, I, I'm, I'm not sure myself, but I try and listen to uh, people I trust.
1: <laughs> Gosh, lots has been going on in the world of ETs these days. I mean, the government seems to be leaking things to us. Do you get that feeling?
0: Well, I no, not really, but you know how I feel on these things. But right. it is true that, uh, and you know, I grant you that these Navy videos have certainly made the news. They're weird. Well, they are. They're, they're, they're puzzling. There's no doubt about that. It's also the case, of course, that there have been some, you know, stories in the SETI realm as well. Uh, and, uh, you know, they've made the newspapers as well. So there are things happening, that's for sure.
1: I was thinking back when the first time I talked to you, I was doing my local St. Louis Nighthawk show, back in 96, 97, so 24, 25 years ago. And you were at Arecibo in Puerto Rico when I was interviewing you. Do you remember being down there?
0: I do, I do, and I remember talking to you as well.
1: It was an amazing thing, and now that telescope is gone, defunct, huh?
0: Yeah, I hope it's not gone permanently, but I fear that it may be. Uh, I I think that the uh, Commonwealth of Puerto Rico actually uh, offered $8 million dollars you know, to try and rebuild it, but unfortunately 8 million is not enough.
1: Not enough for that. Uh, Have we been able to replace it? Do we have telescopes like that?
0: Well, you know, every telescope has its own pluses and minuses, and uh, the biggest Arecibo kind of telescope these days is actually in China. They built their own Arecibo. They went to Arecibo Uh several times, you know, to sort of check out how it was put together and instead of a a 300 meter diameter telescope they built one that's 500
1: meters. in Wow, and that makes a difference, doesn't it? It
0: does. It's, you know, it's like two or three times more sensitive, that's true.
1: How's the array of telescopes that you're doing that that the late Paul Allen donated?
0: Yes, the Allen Telescope Array. Well, we're putting new receivers on it uh, thanks to the generosity of a fellow by the name of Franklin Antonio down in the San Diego area, and so that will really improve the experiments. We're also going to be using the very large array in New Mexico for SETI experiments in the coming
1: months. Super. Seth, earlier this year in January we had a chance to interview a Harvard astronomer by the name of Abi Loeb and he has come up with a bizarre theory which you've looked into and I want to get your take on it. Uh, There's some kind of object out there uh, with a name that anybody wants to pronounce more than welcome. (laughs) Uma Wuma Wuma Duma or whatever it's called and he thinks that there's something strange about that. Tell me your thoughts about that.
0: Yeah. Well yes it's umuamua you um, know my, <laughs> my, my Hawaiian is probably worse than yours but uh, apparently what it means in Hawaiian is scout or something like that or maybe messenger depending on whose Hawaiian you're listening to but in any case this was an object that was found in 2017 and it got an Hawaiian name because it was found by a telescope on Hawaii, in fact on Maui, uh-huh. on top of Mount Haleakala there, uh, there's something called the pan stars telescope, that's kind of an acronym, but it's, it's essentially a wide-angle lens telescope, and uh, it's, you know, looking for things that change in the sky. Normally you use a big telescope, you look at something in the sky, a galaxy, or a nebula, whatever, and uh, you make a picture of it, and then, you know, the next person comes on and they do something, something else. You never get to sort of routinely check all the sky in case something has happened, something has gone bang, something has lit up. Well, that's the idea of this new telescope, anyhow. So they were using this thing in 2017, and they found a little dot. It was just a one-pixel thing on the photos, but it was moving across the sky, and not the way the stars do because of the rotation of the Earth. It was moving because it was moving. And uh, they, uh, they realized, well, this is, uh, you know, an asteroid or a comet or something. But it didn't have the, uh, the orbit of an ordinary comet or asteroid, one that's usually resident uh, in our own solar system, in the outer regions of our own solar system. So this was the first time that anything was found of any size coming from somebody else's solar system. So I guess that's why they called it Scout.
1: Yeah, he's a pretty good physicist as well, and uh, his theory that uh, it may be some kind of alien craft is bizarre. I mean, he's he's gotten a lot of publicity over this.
0: Well, he has. In fact, he has a book on the bestseller list of the New York Times. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, well, Avi Loeb, you're right. The thing about Avi Loeb is that he is a very smart guy. And, uh, you know, I mean, I've read several of his papers. This guy knows what he's talking about. So when Avi Loeb makes the suggestion that this thing that looks like an asteroid or a comet is not, but is, you know, something that was made by aliens that came to us from somebody else's solar system, you have to at least listen to what he's saying because, you know, he's, he's not, not just a guy off the street.
1: Well, and he, he says that we'd be arrogant to think we're alone in the universe. He's right about that. You believe that, too, or you wouldn't be doing what you're doing.
0: No, of course, of course. No, uh, I think one of the greatest uh, services that Avi Loeb has been doing with this claim about Oumuamua uh, is that he at least makes it legitimate to investigate things that you don't at first understand. And I, I, I really do agree with him that... If we just assume that everything we find that we don't understand is nature and not necessarily artificially constructed, we're very likely to, you know, overlook something that really is important. I mean, we have our SETI experiments, and of course we're using big antennas, as we discussed here, you know, trying to pick up a signal, and that would be pretty pretty strong proof that somebody is out there that's smart enough to build a radio transmitter, but it's also possible that, you know, they're not broadcasting at the time we're listening. I mean, a lot of things have to go right for that to work. Whereas if they've built anything big, not even something that, you know, moves around space, but just something big, a, a society that's a billion years more advanced than we are. I mean, there's time for that to have happened. You know, maybe we'll see that and we'll learn that they're there without having to uh, count on picking up their radio transmissions.
1: Some of the things that uh, Professor Avi has said is it's got weird geometry, it lacks a cometary tail, uh, it seems to have accelerated away from the sun in a straight line, out of its orbit, almost like it's being propelled by something. And, uh, I mean, his, his, his possibilities are kind of intriguing.
0: Yeah, he certainly has made those arguments. Now, for most of them, you can say, yeah, I mean, it is interesting that it's, you know, it's, it, when we found it, it already rounded the sun. Right? It was all, already on its way out of the solar system. It was moving away from us by the time we found it. But it accelerated, and you don't expect that. What you expect is that its speed will kind of diminish mm-hmm. because of the gravitational pull of the sun. And it was, in fact, speeding up. But comets do that, too. And the reason they do that is the comets are, you know, mostly ice balls and a little bit of dirt and stuff. Right. Sort of thing. So if anybody who's seen the, with the Bruce Willis film, we land on a comet. Oh,
1: I love that film."
0: <laughs> well, it's a, probably a good use of Bruce Willis, but you know, because there's all that ice, when they go around the sun, some of the ice begins to evaporate and you know, little evaporating jets of of water vapor really act like Well, they act like jets. They they act like rocket engines, and they accelerate the the comet. So the fact that it's accelerating is maybe not the most convincing argument. I, I always felt that his most convincing argument for this was something else. He said, look, this thing came into our solar system. It went around the sun, and then it's headed back out. Okay, but what are the chances that that would happen by random can't. Mm-hmm. That just something kicked out of somebody else's solar system would so accurately target our solar system that they'd go right around. And <laughs> that's, a, that's a good point. I mean, it's like you you know standing on the corner of uh, Sunset Boulevard and some cross street and throwing a tennis ball into the air and having it land on a nickel a block away. I mean, it's going to come down somewhere, but the chances that it'll come down on that nickel are not very high.
1: What does your gut tell you, Seth, well, about this I, object? I. I, I <laughs> I have to say that
0: I I tend to bow to history on these sorts of things, George, because the history tells you that every time astronomers find something they don't at first understand, there's always a tendency to blame it on the aliens, right? Uh, Yeah. You know, I was around when they discovered the quasars, and for a while the Russians were claiming that the quasars were actually, you know, alien transmissions. The same with the pulsars. The same with the markings on Mars, heck, in the last century right, uh, just about, well, fast radio bursts today, all these things which we don't understand at first, some people will say, well, you ought to consider the possibility that it's actually alien activity, and you should, but the historical uh, record is pretty clear. Every time we thought it was aliens, it was not. So I'm going to go on the side of conservatism here and say, yeah, it's probably not going to be that Oumuamua was an alien craft.
1: Would you like it to be?
0: Of course. Of course. Of course. Of course. But you know what the, the, the sort of the ironic thing about it all is that we'll never know because Amuamu is gone. It's just gone. <laughs> it's past Jupiter now. It's way out there. And we don't have any rockets that could possibly catch up with it. So we're not going to see it again.
1: Well, that's absolutely true. It's, and, and how many other objects are out there that are suspicious?
0: Well,. Uh, so far, not too many. I mean, there's been one other interstellar object that's been found uh, about a year or two after Oumuamua. It's called 2I Borisov, which is a wonderful name, but Borisov was the Russian amateur astronomer who found it, so he gets to name it. It's named after him. And uh, that's clearly a comet. It has a tail, and nobody's claiming that it's anything but a comet. So I think now that we have the telescopes that can find these babies. Uh, we're going to find lots of them and it's you know it may be that we never find another one quite like a muamua but that would surprise me too because usually if you find something with a telescope for the first time you can be sure you're going to find more of them
1: have you had a chance to talk to professor avi
0: i have yes
1: what, I have. Do, what do you think
0: well i mean i personally like the guy and i again as to say that to me the the
1: He's putting his career on the line, isn't he?
0: I don't think so. Listen, he's, he's got tenure at Harvard. Uh, he was the chairman of the Harvard Astronomy Department for longer than anybody else ever was. And I, I don't think his job's on the line. But, the, but the, you know, for anybody, if you will, of lesser talents, their job might have been on the line, I suppose. And that's why what he's doing is somewhat valuable. Because if Avi, because he can get away with this, he can say anything he wants, he's got tenure. He, he's, he's guaranteed that that cherry sitting in is still going to be there tomorrow morning. And so he can suggest sort of, if you will, radical ideas. And it turns out that in science, you know, if you have a radical idea, most of the time you're wrong. But occasionally you're right, and that's how science progresses.
1: Now there's something hot happening these days, too, called the Breakthrough Listening Project. What's that?
0: Yeah, well, Breakthrough Listening has been going for, or Breakthrough Listen, as it's called, it's been going for, what, about five years now? And it was the initiative of a guy who actually lives fairly close to me here in the Bay Area, uh, Yuri Milner. Yuri Milner is a very clever guy as well, by the way, <laughs> a Russian entrepreneur. And, I,
1: that's right. I've heard that name.
0: Yeah, we've talked about Yuri yeah, before. Yeah, yeah. And he, uh, you know, he's he's interested in using the money that he has from shrewd investments and things like, you know, uh, Facebook and whatever, right? He has enough money to invest in projects that he thinks are ripe for a revolutionary development, and one of those is SETI. So he has recognized the fact that there's no government money for SETI, mm-hmm. and he's promised $100 million to the University of California Berkeley SETI guys. Wow. Yeah, well, $10, 10 million a year. That's a lot of money for uh, him.
1: Has he started that?
0: Yes, he started roughly five years ago. So
1: he's 50 mil into it.
0: Uh, so far,
1: yes. Okay, that's, that's pretty impressive.
0: It is. It is indeed. And that allows them to do some really good stuff. They're, they're, they're good people anyhow, but you know, it allows them to build some very sophisticated receiving equipment to you know, rent time on big antennas and all that sort of thing. But you're asking about something that was in the news, and what was in the news was the fact that this group, the uh, Breakthrough Listen group, was using the Parkes radio telescope. That's an antenna about 210 feet across in the, the sheep country about six hours west of Sydney. And they, you know, they, they were actually not using the telescope themselves. There were some astronomers who were aiming the telescope at Proxima Centauri, which is the nearest other star to us.
1: Uh-huh. Okay.
0: And uh, by the way, you, you can't see it in the northern hemisphere and that's why you have to use it Telescope in place like Australia to to actually observe this thing, so they they were observing it sort of piggyback mode. In other words, the, the astronomers, whoever they were, were doing their thing, and the breakthrough listen people were tapping off some of the incoming static, if you will, putting it through their own receivers, and voila, they find a signal, and you know it seems to be for real. Uh, it's a signal that it, about when was it the number been down here, 982 megahertz on your radio dial. And, <laughs> you know, they, 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 they do the obvious thing. They move the telescope a little bit one way or the other to see if the signal goes away, does it come back, all those sorts of tests. And it passed all the tests. So, of course, that story was leaked to the Guardian in London, and uh, they ran with the story, and so it became
1: a story. It's an amazing story, isn't it?
0: Well, it is, and it could be E.T., although the people who are involved with Breakthrough Listen are themselves not convinced, in fact. They sound as if they would be happy to bet you a decent dinner that it's, in fact, just terrestrial interference. And I have to say that the fact that it's at 982.002 megahertz on the dial, that's suspicious, because why would the aliens use a frequency that's almost exactly zero, zero, zero after the decimal point. That, that doesn't make sense for aliens. Good point. Listen to more Coast to Coast AM every weeknight at 1 a.m. Eastern and go to coasttocoastam.com for more.